0: Welcome to the MercyCast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your guest host, Justin Haas, and when I'm not guest hosting, I'm the founder and CEO of All First and the host of the All First podcast. Transitions can be hard. We have all had them, and to be honest, they just kind of suck. You go from certainty, comfort, and familiarity to uncertainty and fear. But the reality is that we can't undo reality. What happens, happens. We can accept it. We can deny it. But we can't undo it. Raleigh was on cloud nine. The release party of his first book had commenced, and he had felt like he had reached some pivotal life goals. Life was turning out all right for him. The next morning, he would board a flight for Chicago where his promotional tour would begin. However... His life would change in a matter of moments. Switching on his phone after the plane touched down, he was greeted by a ton of text. Apparently, his apartment building on the Upper West Side was on fire. In the next few weeks, he learned that he had not only lost most of what he owned, but he had nowhere to live. Today, I'm joined by Raleigh Sadler, the author of Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking and the executive director of Let My People Go. Raleigh, I have really been looking forward to this conversation. You were homeless.
1: (laughs) Basically, yeah.
0: (laughs) On the front end of your book tour for your first book.
1: Yeah, I wrote a book on vulnerability and then I had to experience it.
0: I think you were already experiencing it before then.
1: 100%.
0: Do you feel... Which led
1: to me writing the book.
0: I know. Like, yeah, that's interesting. It's like suddenly you had to put into practice all the suggestions you made in your book. Oh, absolutely. How did that go for you?
1: It was interesting because you can write about something, but I wrote about it not as someone who was claiming to be an expert. I wrote about it. Why did you write it? I wrote it because based on some of the things that I had learned and experienced in the anti-human trafficking space, I was seeing that many... We're kind of coming to this movement as almost like not realizing their own brokenness, their own issues that they face. And in doing so, it becomes really easy to treat others like a project.
0: Ooh, that is so interesting because I think even in our personal lives, we can do that with friends and family.
1: And I think when we realize that, you know what, I have issues, they might be different than this person's issues, but that actually puts us on the same level playing field. And so I'm not on this chair trying to pull this person up. I'm right next to him saying, okay, how do we get through this?
0: Was there a particular moment where you had that insight?
1: You know, it was interesting. I couldn't find a place to live for about three months. I remember talking to someone who leads one of the larger nonprofits for those who are experiencing homelessness. And I called him and I said, Hey, Craig, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm processing. And he stopped me and said, you know what? You could benefit from our services. And I think it was in that moment that I realized, oh, wow, though it's not the same as someone who is habitually homeless, I am experiencing an intense event. I was couch surfing. I was going from place to place to place. I was starting to have nightmares because there were times where I was staying somewhere where I couldn't lock the door. And I was realizing all the things I had taken for granted. And so here I am, I've written this book, but now by this point, I'm living in an old church building in an efficiency apartment. And that church building is now being used as a food pantry for those who are low wage earners in New York and those who are experiencing homelessness. And so on Sundays, I would go down and I would have lunch with people who were getting help. And it was amazing because in doing that, Anytime you interact with people who are going through a hard time, you can do one or two things. You can act like better them than me, which is terrible. Or you can realize, my gosh, in some situations, I've gone through things that are more intense. In other situations, they've gone through things more intense. But they are human. I am human. And I need to talk to this person. And it's very easy for us, especially in a city like New York, to just walk by to see a need and just to keep going because we're so focused on protecting ourselves that we don't have time to protect other people. Well, when How when you, do you
0: like balance that though? Because you're in a space where you're unhoused, you're experiencing right. being unhoused. And maybe for some people listening, you know, they want to help other people, but like they're going through their own things. So how do you find that balance? Because I think as people who, you know, are Christians and we're always like the message is always like you got to help others. Like you got to be there for them. I feel like sometimes we can forget ourselves. And I'm wondering, like, how did you balance that in that moment for yourself? Because you're in need now.
1: Well, that was a situation where... It, it was a humbling experience because going from cloud nine to basically being ushered out of your apartment and no longer being able to stay in your apartment. And
0: you didn't have any belongings either, right? Like all your No, belongings. I lost
1: everything. Yeah. I mean, I saved some clothes and I took them to the laundromat and washed them four times and got the smoke smell out of them. It was pretty wild. But what I would say is first thing you have to do is kind of own what you're experiencing.
0: Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Don't
1: deny it. Don't laugh it off. I totally laughed it off.
0: You really did. You text me and you were like, my apartment's on fire. I just lost everything. It's all good.
1: Isn't that <laughs> <was> like, hilarious? <laughs>
0: um, Raleigh. And you had had some other stuff happen like years before and we were talking right before this episode and I was like, didn't that thing happen like right at the same time? And you were like, no, that was a few years before and I was like, it all feels like it happened at once. Like the things that you experienced here in New York are um kind of extraordinary.
1: Well, and It was the beginning of a major transition. And so for me, I was in a place where I was unsettled physically. Yeah. And figuratively. Like Like, you
0: had just settled with your, I feel like with your health, like you've gotten to really good grind. And then your book launch. I mean, you really were like you had made it in your career. Like this is it.
1: and, And now I'm at this place where I'm realizing that I'm not bigger than my body. What does that mean? my head was deflated. I was seeing things as they truly were and realizing I'm a dependent human being. And so you asked earlier, how do we connect with these people who are in front of us, people who may be experiencing intense need? And I would say the first thing that we do is acknowledge their humanity because it's very easy to ignore something if we pretend it's not there. It's like when you're a kid and you think that, there's something in your closet and rather than going into your closet and investigating it, you put the sheets over your head. I mean, I'm not going to lie. A couple months ago, I heard something really strange in my closet and I was super tired and I yelled, if you're not paying rent, you need to leave. <laughs> oh and so I think that was an economic exorcism. I don't know what I did, but it, but it never, it, it's gone. It, it's it's not going to happen again. But facing th- things down and facing people. And so rather than looking away, looking in someone's eyes and getting to know them, letting them identify themselves as they want. If you're like, "Hey, my name is Raleigh. What's your name?" and they're like, "My name's Spaceship." And you're like, "Hey, Spaceship. How you doing?
0: I'm just wondering like how did your definition of vulnerability when you wrote the book and now you're experiencing this like truly um extraordinary like life thing. How did that change the definition for you?
1: Honestly, it didn't change it at all. It just made it deeper.
0: What is the definition of vulnerability? So
1: it's being open to attack. Open
0: to attack? Yeah,
1: this idea of you're open to attack. Whether, Like someone says, that's a wounded animal. How are they going to survive? Because now they're going slower. They're leaving a trail of blood because of the wound. When you allow yourself to just see that you're just another person experiencing the human condition... And that you do not have it together all the time. And and we try. We spend so much energy protecting ourselves. But in doing that, like oftentimes we can use that as an excuse to avoid people who might feel like they're a little too much. Or their issues might scare us because they show us more about who we are than we're willing to recognize.
0: So you said... Part of it was accepting the reality of your situation. I feel like there might be people listening who's like, hey, it's all good. I want to support other people, but I'm going through this insane thing right now. And I don't have the time or the headspace to be there for others. I'm wondering, since you were you're really in like a service role, even now, you know, as a founder of an organization, as a pastor, like how did you figure out how to accept the reality while you're in the midst of all of this, like, how did you create that space for yourself?
1: You can't give what you don't have. And how are you going to care for those who are in the margins if your life doesn't have any? And so creating space for you Mm -hmm. to heal. And sometimes as you're doing that, you can help others. We kind of want to avoid the, well, I just have to do it now. And that the boundaryless life where we're like, I never say no. I always need to be on the clock. Here's the deal. The world is not yours to save.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: But we want to avoid that place. But we also want to avoid that place where we say, I'll be able to care for people when, boom, boom, boom. There are tiny things you can do. It could be just making eye contact with someone.
0: That's true. That's
1: it could true. be if you're a person of faith, hey, I'm going to pray for you. It could be, hey, you know, let's have a conversation. Now, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to listen. Or it could be putting up that boundary and saying, I'm going to be your friend through this, but I may not be able to be your counselor. I want to encourage you to talk to someone, but I'm going to be your friend and I'm going to be here. I
0: think that's really important, setting up that boundary of what you can, setting up the expectation with people. I have five minutes I can talk to you about this thing. That is so good. That's so practical. You said something to me earlier before we started. I know like community is so important for you that I thought was really important. I think especially when you're going through something as just truly remarkable as you were experiencing, I think, you know, sharing that with others and finding that support can be challenging. You said, I love vulnerability, but not everything is everyone's. How did you build safe community for yourself during that time?
1: There's been a lot of trial and error. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, someone once asked Ernest Hemingway, they said, how do you learn how to trust? How do you learn how to trust people? And he said, well, easy. You trust them. And so you get burned a few times. You have some really terrible experiences and it kind of can put you back on your heels. And I think for me, I go back to who are the people, my ride or die friends who they're not going anywhere. And they're going to be the people who, yeah, sometimes they gas me up, but then sometimes they let the air out of my tires just enough so I can feel reality and feel the ground and feel the concrete. I want those middle-of-the-way friends. I don't want the people who are like, Raleigh, you've never done anything wrong. Of course I have. (gasps) There are things I regret in my life. What? But, I know, (laughs) I know, I'm a human. It's weird. Wow. (laughs) But... I also don't find myself being super vulnerable with people I can't trust or the people who everything you say, they're like, that's classic Raleigh. I'm like, Mm. yeah. So I don't necessarily feel like I want to share.
0: How do people, you know, some people might be listening and be like, yeah, I totally see the importance of finding community, but, you know, I just moved somewhere. I lost my job. That's something that you talk a lot about. I lost this relationship. How do you find safe people?
1: I think it's starting where you're at. And so if a lot of people will find safe people in their church or faith community, some people will find them in a civic organization. Sometimes you're meeting people at work. Sometimes you meet people at the gym. You meet people where you are.
0: That's a good way. Now you got to say that for the people in the back.
1: (laughs) You meet people where you are. We're so focused on what's out there that we don't focus on where we are.
0: If you could see me in the studio right now, I would just like be jumping up and down. Like that is so, so good. You meet people where you are at. That is talking about boundaries. I love it.
1: Yeah. In a way of proximity. Yes. Meet people where you are, but also almost metaphysically, like in that place where you are, you're going to attract people. So if you're in a season of self-loathing, you're probably going to attract people who are in a similar season. And as someone I read recently said, if two abysses attract each other.
0: Uh, wait, abysses? Uh,
1: yeah, like a deep cavern, deep okay, canyon. Okay, got it.
0: That's like a, that's a SAT word. If
1: there is a union of two abysses, <laughs> okay, it will not it. <laughs> produce a great height. Wow. That yeah, that's Nathaniel deep. Brandon. How he's, do
0: you remember all these people? He's
1: a self-esteem scholar. <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know.
0: I'm impressed. I don't know. I'm impressed for like all the wisdom you're bringing to us today. (laughs) I'm impressed that you can even quote these people. Okay. So yeah, two abysses, they meet in the dark. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I said. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, And and then, yeah. So what what happens when these two abysses meet?
1: (laughs) So basically we can attract what we are. We want to find people who we can trust. We want to find people in our lives who inspire us who may have qualities that we might want to emulate we don't want to become them but we may want a little bit of what they have and that doesn't mean we're not accepting who we are we all have something to give to society but at the end of the day whether it's our story or a skill set or whatever finding people that were like i actually like this person i want to get to know this person i am willing to view my time as an investment
0: oh my gosh raleigh these are I hope you all who are listening right now are taking notes. Cause this is good. This is really, really good. So you're you're in this situation where you're you were I'm just imagining this, like you're having lunch with all these folks and you're trying to, you know, make space for yourself while also maintaining like who you are. And I think that's so important too. Like you're that person that does talk with folks. And I think that's really interesting that thread. And I'm just thinking some people might be listening and being like, I just don't want to accept this. Like, why me? How did you deal with that why me narrative?
1: I would like to say that I have figured that out. But almost every time that I go through something, I will hit that point where I'm like, are you freaking kidding me again? I clearly learned this lesson before or why did this happen to me? Couldn't it have happened to someone else? Like, why on earth am I going through Can this? Can I just
0: go a little di- bit deeper on sure, that? Because I know sure. that there are people of faith listening right now. Yeah. Some people might be like, you know, God is God is like doing this for a reason. I'm going to be learning something out of it. Or like, God is punishing me for this thing that I did. Like, how do you reconcile that mm. part?
1: No, that's really good. Because I think it's very easy for our default to be God must hate me because my life has just gone What about the
0: God must love me because he's bringing me through this trial? Like personally, you might hear it in my voice right now. That makes me so mad because <laughs> I feel like people rush to, oh, let me get the lesson out of this when they're still in it. So I'm just curious, like what was like, how did that work out for you?
1: So right before I found out that my apartment burned down, I finished reading the book of Job. The book of Job in the Old Testament is a poetic expression given to the people of Israel, and they are learning this story of one of the most righteous men in their history and how he would repent even before he sinned or his family sinned. He was that righteous. He was a good guy. He was wealthy. He had all these things. He had been blessed. But then Hasatan, the adversary, comes to God and says, well, would he still praise you if I took everything I had and poured it on him? And God's like, all right, give it a shot. Now, this is my version, but this is basically the idea. And he suffers. He loses children. His wife says, curse God and die. He gets friends who come and spend time with him in community, but they keep saying, well, it obviously was something you did.
0: Ooh, ugh,
1: gross. It was obviously something you did. And he gets to this point where he's thinking, you know what, I'm going to have all these things to tell God, and I want to ask him about this and this and this, and at the end of the book, God shows up and says, hey, were you there when I created the seas? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? And rather than saying all these things that he had for God, he sat there in God's presence and said, okay, okay. And I think for many of us, we're going through very difficult things. And it's easy to say, well, God must hate me. But we also know from scripture that God is love. That he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he will bring you through this situation.
0: How did that become real for you?
1: Cause I think. Because that's,
0: that's like seeing air for me. No, I hear that and I'm like, I can see these words on the page. Like, I don't know what that means, like logistically, practically, when I'm going through all this
1: stuff. No, I think for me, realizing that the pain that I'm feeling is not forever.
0: Ooh, that's good.
1: It's not forever. And that having community around me who remind me of the truth, people who are like, you know what, Raleigh? You may feel this, but that's not truth. Now, that doesn't mean that your feelings can't point you to truth, because I don't go there either. But it's not true to say that, like, I'm a waste of space or I'm a horrible person just because of what I'm experiencing. But really, having people who can say something outside of me when I can't trust me because of what I'm going through, when I'm not my safest person, when I am my jerk friend, having someone who will be bold enough to say, Not only do I love you, Raleigh, but God loves you. And you need to know it because here's where it says that he does. And so the truth of the matter is that no matter how you're feeling, you are loved. And I remember talking to someone about a year or so after the book came out. And I'm like, okay, my house burned down. I moved to Chicago I had a relationship end. One of my roommates, who I really cared for, died. And then other things happened all within three months. And I was like, why is life so hard? And my friend said, well, remember when you wrote the book? And I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, maybe, just maybe, your book is impacting people. And it gave me perspective. Having someone who would ultimately say, you're okay, even when I didn't feel like I was okay. That made me realize that one day it might be okay.
0: Oh my goodness. I love that when you are not your safest person, Mm. that's like a whole book title. That is so good. It is a book title. Is that
1: the book we're going to write together?
0: We We should. We should. We really should. What are the three things that you want people to take away from this conversation? If you could talk to yourself back then, if you could talk to anyone who's listening right now, who's just like, I'm going through this storm and I just do not have the hope. I don't believe I don't have the community. Like, what would you say to them?
1: It's almost embarrassing because it's taken me this long to learn this, but I I'm had sorry, to, is that
0: some negative self talk? Did <laughs> I just hear that?
1: Well, maybe it's just reality because I had to learn that I didn't really understand what it meant to accept the reality of my situation. And so I think when you're going through something, you need to accept the reality of your situation, or if there's something that's hunting and haunting you from your past Something that happened that you did or someone has done to you. We want to be time travelers and we want to go back through rumination and fix it. But rumination's never fixed anything. And we're not time travelers. We're not going to get into a special vehicle and go and talk to our former self and say, no. But we can accept that it happened, whether we liked it or not. And say, this is reality. So what am I going to do moving forward? And I think it's important to stress that you do not have to like it. But accept, yeah, this happened. And be honest with yourself. Don't live in denial, but live in reality. I read something recently that said we must live in reality because that's the only place God works. God doesn't work in illusions. He works in reality. So we have to bring our true self, not our false self. And so kind of recognizing that, yes, I may have aspirational goals, but I have to deal with the reality of my situation. And, you know, you probably shouldn't always be in one of those places where you're like well let's look on the bright side no no. there is a bright side there's a sunny side of the street we're here in new york city and the sunny side of the street is a real thing on a cold day you see that little stream of sunlight and you see that 800 million people are walking on that side and you think well i could just walk down this but then you get a cold breeze and you're like "No, no no i'm gonna walk on the sunny side and so yes like Right sides aren't bad, but we do need to accept where we are, accept the reality of our situation. Another thing would be depend on trusted friends or counselors. Be vulnerable, be honest, allow yourself to go to that place where you're willing to share things that maybe they're not your best side. Maybe it's not the best angle, you know how on Instagram and all the social media channels, People will we'll take pictures of ourselves, but it's almost like beauty by angles. We'll take pictures and be like, yeah, that's good. But we don't take that really awkward angle. You need someone who sees all the facets of you and stays. Those people...
0: And treat you with kindness.
1: And treat you with kindness. Kindness is underrated. It really is. Yeah. Like when I lived here, I remember finding people who were kind. That wasn't in my top 10 attributes. But now I'm at a place in my life where... If kindness isn't in their top three, I'm probably not going to spend that much time with someone because life is too hard to not be kind.
0: I think it's also about learning how to trust yourself, too. It sounds like you've come to a place where you're okay if this relationship doesn't work out with this friend or this person because you're okay by yourself with who you are.
1: Learning to trust yourself.
0: Learning to become that safest person.
1: Yeah. Learning yeah. to trust yourself and learning to love yourself because many of us are perfectionists. Many of us are recovering perfectionists. We have a really high bar for ourselves, but beating yourself into submission is not going to get you the results that you want.
0: Yeah. You can't should yourself. I heard someone say that.
1: Yeah. I interviewed Krista McDon in our second podcast for MercyCast, and she said, sometimes we should on ourselves. Yeah, And I thought that was the most brilliant way <laughs> yeah, to say it because I'm like, yourself. yeah, do not should yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned to say could. Like, if I look back at something I regret, I'm like, man, I should have done this. I'm like, you know what? I could have done this. I didn't do this, but moving forward, I will. And it hurts a little bit because you're like, oh, I could have done it. But then you're like, but I could have done it. And next time I will do it. And I would say that the third piece is related to the first. When we accept the reality of our situation and we're depending on people around us and we're learning to trust ourselves and love ourselves. We really need to not just let that be a moment, but a movement in our life. We need to lean into that reality. We need to really say, okay, this is what's truest about me. This is where I'm going.
0: Raleigh, you are wise, wise. I mean, I am sad that that thing happened to you with your house, but I'm also so grateful to hear all this wisdom from you. Oh, my goodness. These are all book quotes. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm hitting my mic. Wow. Well, for all of you listening, I hope you took notes. Um, this podcast is made possible by you. And if you want bonus episodes as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for just $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave Mercy Cast a five-star review. I am your guest host. Jessica Minhaas, the founder of Algo Go First and the host of the All Go First podcast. Next time you hear this podcast, Raleigh Sadler will be joining you again in the host seat. Thanks so much for listening.
1: And as always, have mercy on yourselves and each other.